From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Gemma Gaudet. This is Idaho Matters. New York Times bestselling author Catherine May is back with a new book, Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. In this new book, May explores how we can reawaken our sense of wonder and sort of always feeling burned out. And we're lucky enough to have her join us today to chat more about this. Catherine, welcome to the program. Hello, thank you for having me. So I want to start, Catherine, to briefly talk about your um, other book. I mean, this was a New York Times bestseller, and it was called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. What was it that made you to s- decide, you know what, I need to write this this first book? I think it felt really urgent to me, actually. I could see how everybody I knew, including myself, were in this pattern of having high times and low times, you know, which which seems really obvious and ordinary, but we never talked about the low times. And so people were going through these periods of great isolation and suffering, and they were doing it alone. And as they were doing it, they were feeling like they'd uniquely failed rather than understanding it for what it is, which is part of the ordinary pattern of human life. So, uh, yeah, I I wanted to write Wintering so that we could have a like have a word for it. But at the same time, I'd always wanted to write about my love of winter, too. And the two collided perfectly for me. So then you have this new book come out. And as I mentioned, it's called Enchantment. Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. Um, so again, was was this, you know, kind of a follow-up to that that first book in the sense of like, okay, I mean, I think we all get into a grind, right? And it's hard sometimes yeah. to to stop and and truly see wonder in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think enchantment was the result of me asking directly, you know, what happens next after a wintering? And for me, that felt very personal because I'd just been through the intense wintering experience of the pandemic. And I was mm-hmm. still, when I began the book, living with the after effects of that, you know, that, that intense sense of brain fog that so many of us experienced after a few months of lockdowns. Um, and the, the feeling of kind of anxiety, of burnout, at the same time, that sense that the changes that had been made in the pandemic weren't all bad. And I didn't want to return to the life before the, that, that time as well. <laughs> and yeah, I was trying to pick my way through really and, and find out how to live a good life now. And so with that said, um, you know, I want to talk about um, this idea too in, in your book that you know, how do we find this, this enchantment, right? This wonder when we tend to get, I think sometimes trapped in, in things like, you know, scrolling through social media, but also I think the climate and the culture that we live in, it's, it's really difficult to, to not get hardened is, is the best way I can say it. So, so, Tell us what you wrote about in the book to to address, you know, how do we how do we maybe try to to take a breath and and find some some wonder in the world? Yeah, and I think there's actually a question that's a step back from there, which is how do we find permission to want that mm. soft thing mm. of wonder and of fascination and of joy? 
um, because I, I think that we know that these times have been so menacing and so urgent and so frightening that it seems almost silly to go out seeking something as intangible as awe when we don't even know how to keep ourselves safe at the moment. But what I came to realise, partly through the process of exploring it, but just partly through feeling my own need, was that it's to feel those emotions, to feel awe, to have that quality of attention that softens us rather than hardens us, has to be part of our survival and has to be part of making a good life into the future. But I don't think any one of us knows quite how that's found now because we're not in the habit of it anymore. So I I went out to, I guess, try and get into the habit of it and explore the different ways that I could access that that state of mm-hmm. being that, that opens us up to change. And, and you write really personally in the book um, about... Uh, you know, your own struggles, right? And whether it was, as you mentioned, you know, living through the pandemic, the after effects Mm. of that, but your family, your work, why go so personal and so raw like that? Oh, that's just what I always do, really. I'm I'm not the kind of nonfiction writer that writes from a distance. Um, But I I think every time I write a new book, I always think I'm going to make this one less personal. You know, it's always really hard to put that (laughs) stuff out there. And every time it just creeps back in. Um, and and in a way for me, that is part of the softness of the book. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the vulnerability. And I, I never want to write from the perspective of saying, hi, I know all the answers. Here they are. You know, do as you're told. Like, you know, right. I, I, I'm just not that writer. Uh, my process is more wondering how I can walk alongside my reader and how we can l- learn together um, and how we can both go through a process that is meaningful. Um, yeah, I'm never going to be very authoritative, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, and one of the things that struck me was how you wrote about um, that really we, we almost have to to awaken ourselves to wonder. And what I mean by that is you talk about or you write about how we have to really look for it. Right. I mean, yeah. because it's easy to to miss. And and so talk a little bit more about that in the sense of like, you know, we we really do need to look for it. And maybe it's and where do we find it? Right. Is it? Yeah. Is it in nature? Yeah. Where where is it? It's an exchange, you know, and I think you have mm-hmm. to consciously give it your attention in order to experience it. And so. That's actually a good thing, although it takes a bit more effort. What that means is we can then find it anywhere, because I think we're accustomed to thinking that awe is waiting for us somewhere exotic, the other side of the world, you know, somewhere that we mm-hmm. can travel to that's grander than home, um, that, that definitely isn't where we are, that's somewhere that you have to get on a plane to go and see, and it's rare and special. And actually, if we learn to marshal our attention we can find it in the most mundane circumstances, you know, and and I talk early on in the book about how holding a rock that always sits next to my desk can, can actually transport me there very quickly because I can think about how it feels in my hand. And I can think about the enormous timescales that are involved in, in its production and how it and I like end up sharing the same space. But that isn't something 
that you can just switch on and off. It's a muscle um, and it's mm. a it's a practice. And I, I think the whole book is about how you revive a practice that perhaps you once it took for granted. And, and you know, I'm thinking about childhood there. Mm-hmm. How how long do you think it took you to revive this practice yourself? Oh, easily a year or more. Um, it felt grindingly slow at first. And I, I, I just, I feel like I'd lost hope in, in my ability to f- take pleasure in the world anymore. Yeah. But bit by bit, I had to chip away at it. And sometimes that was as simple as just moving, you know, just getting out of the house, just walking down to the sea um, and and trying to come back into contact with my desire again, you know, with the bit of me that told me that there was something I even wanted to do. I, f- I feel like I got so far away from it. But slowly, slowly, I kept finding things that I could work with and fostering them. But I, you know, I, I think it will be a lifelong mission. I don't think this is something that I'll ever solve, you know, and I think that's the point in lots of ways that we have to keep nurturing this quality within all of us rather than ever taking it for granted. Mm. You know, I noticed myself um, after reading your book that I just, you know, simple things like driving my kids to school, right? And I'm, so here I am on this, you know, interstate, all of these cars, but all, <laughs> but it would be like, but I would say, you know, all of a sudden I'd be like, it's such a beautiful morning. Like it's, that's, you know, it's sunny and the, yeah. and there's snow on the, on the foothills. And it was you know, I, I'm I'm trying to to find those little moments of of wonder and and mm-hmm. that joy in just those simple things like oh the sun is shining and that feels so nice and I and I yeah. think sometimes we forget right but I think yeah. we we forget that that is really sometimes as simple as it needs to be. It really is and. It's one of those things that, as you talk about it, it seems so silly, doesn't it? Like, it, like mm-hmm. what is it to say, oh, the sun looked pretty this morning? Yeah. But it's actually right. everything, you know? <laughs> when you start to engage in that, that, that kind of little encounter with beauty um, and that, that little change in attention is something that can sustain you through a really difficult day and which can link to loads of other things in your life and, and create these kind of bigger networks of meaning that you, that leads you to find even more, like it, it grows if you let it. Um, and it, it is, it's beguilingly simple and it's, it amazes me how hard I find it to do when it, all I need to do is, you know, notice the moon in the sky at night. It's, it's nothing mm-hmm. but somehow life gets in the way. Well, and what I think is so funny is that, um, you know, when I, when I've done this, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, the sun shining. It's so, it's so pretty. My kids just kind of look at me and roll their eyes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, they do. But, but actually, I mean, I, I learned this with my son because I, you know, I felt like I was trying to show him the things that fascinated me and almost convert him to my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And what I came to realize is that that doesn't really work, but that he had his own sources of fascination. And it was my job to just make space for him to have them and not to get in the way of them and to let him. I mean, he talks about growing branches in his head when he's, you know, thinking. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I needed to let him do that and not interfere and not keep trying to guide his attention, uh, you know, and, and to tell him to, to be fascinated by the same things that I was fascinated by. Yeah, I and I so agree with that. And, and you know, that's also, I think, this idea of where do we, so where do we um, find wonder, right? I mean, because it can be mm-hmm. incredibly simple. Yet at the same time, I mean, I know so many people, especially where we live in the Mountain West, people love the outdoors. They love the mountains. They love hiking, yeah. you know, camping, all of these things. And I find my center at the ocean, at the beach, mm. right? And and it's, I'm not, and I don't need to convert anybody to my <laughs> way of thinking. <laughs> no, in fact. But I, you know, it's better you when they're all not there, there frankly. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, but I think sometimes find, that's sorry. part of it, right? Oh, no, no, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, where, I, where, I, where I think sometimes we, we, then we almost take that wonder and we think, well, okay, now I have to convert everyone so that they understand how I'm feeling instead of just allowing everyone to mm. be. And it's it's really interesting to actually listen to other people's wonder instead of sharing your own sometimes because mm-hmm. you might not share that exact fascination but that that same quality can talk to somebody else's quality of attention too and there's a there's a real connection in just knowing that we all find it somewhere and that it's common to us to be able to feel that immersion that comes when we're in the place that matters to us i'm like you i'm all about the sea as well ah oh. I just love it so much. <laughs> what what do you hope is is the takeaway for someone who picks up this book and and reads it? I think for me it's about letting people know that it's okay to be in process with this, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you don't have to have the answers and you don't have to find something instantly, but here is permission to enter into a lifelong relationship that will be a constant quest and a constant striving towards making sense of the world around you in the way that you need to do it. And if I can transmit just that, I think I'll have, I'll have done my, my life's work actually. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and it is truly, and, and it is, and that is the whole thing, right? I mean, that's so beautiful to be in process. Like we, we really are just, always, you know, especially if we just allow ourselves to be in that mm. and to continue to learn and yeah. and to always say like, you know, I'm especially especially when it comes to parenting, I'm a work in pro- progress. So, you know. oh my goodness. Yes, that's very right? true. Oh my and, goodness. And, yeah. Yeah. We've all got to learn to stop solving stuff because we never solve it oh. really. Um and and to learn to appreciate the way that that change is constantly happening like that's what keeps us going ultimately when we stop changing that's that's the beginning of the end i think oh i couldn't agree more Catherine. it has been lovely talking with you thank you for taking time out of your day oh thank you so much it's been really nice to talk to you absolutely we've been talking with new york times best-selling author Catherine may about her brand new book enchantment awakening wonder in an anxious age it is available at bookstores right now. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudette. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. 
Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies.